On this episode of Doctor Who's That, we talk about the time-meddling bachelor, Eldred Horrors, and a space helmet for a cow. Welcome to another episode of Doctor Who's That, the show where we force a newbie to watch the entirety of Doctor Who, lest we shoot him with our atomic cannons. (laughs) And lie to him, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I was full of lies last time. I am your Doctor Who expert, Sean Gleason. Joining us, as always, is Andy. Hi, I'm your Doctor Who sort of modern fan and current post-apocalyptic warrior, Andy. And there's also Bay. You know, um, I'm just trying to survive the coronavirus and the Norman invasion. (laughs) Yep. We are recording this in the midst of the coronavirus, though you'll be hearing this quite a while from now. So it could still be going. Yeah. hopefully, Hopefully we're all alive. Yes, the world has hopefully survived. And um, also joining us is Maggie from the First Impressions podcast. Hi. I have been trapped in this house with Bay, my husband, for five days, and so I'm about ready to murder him. (laughs) Ah, the first test of true love. No, it's going (laughs) fine until he started kvetching at me about the way I was working the microphone earlier. (laughs) As opposed to, he's looking at, he wants to make a working the pole joke. These are the jokes, folks. These are the oh. jokes. This, this is a family show, please. Is it? Wait, am I not allowed to swear? I don't remember. We can beep you out. Okay. So the episode we're watching this time is The Time Meddler, which had the working title, The Monk. It originally aired in July of 1965. And so let's take a look at our state of the Hoonian behind the scenes. This serial was in a state of flux due to all the behind the scenes changes that were going on around this time. As the story was being written, Dennis Spooner knew that Ian Russell was going to be leaving, but Jacqueline Hill was still on the fence, as was Maureen O'Brien, so he had no idea who his cast was actually going to be. Huh. The story also needed to be done on the cheap due to all the money that had been spent on the previous serial. It's funny that you mentioned that because um, I was really expecting full on, like I, I really wanted the Battle of Hastings or something. Oh, <laughs> like no. He said that and I said to him, do you even know what show you're watching? <laughs> hey, the Zarbi <laughs> fight was like epic. 
<laughs> I did not see the cereal. This is only the second classic Who cereal I've ever. You seen. should be really grateful that we didn't subject you to the Zarbi. <laughs> well, okay, no, yeah. I don't even need to know anything about it other than the name to know that I'm grateful. Yeah, I should have said it was intended to be epic and almost certainly had an epic budget. However, the actual experience was Well, I'm so sure much. that that whole monastery was made out of styrofoam, but I thought it looked pretty good. Now the mechanoid fight last cereal. That was oh. epic. Oh, oh yeah, the mechanoids was good. <laughs> Never going to forget it. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Terry Nation, as we said last time, had been asked to create a potential new companion character to replace Ian, but Peter Purvis had been brought on on extremely short notice, and they had still been working out the contract while the last serial was being filmed, so the ending was left open. You are so sneaky, by the way, (laughs) because I was telling uh, Maggie while we were watching, I was like, Oh my God, it's Steven Tyler. No, Steven Taylor. And <laughs> I was like, who's Steven? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's even got that stupid panda with him. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I was full of lies last time. I mean, how is this How is this night different from any other night, Shawnee? True, true. But yeah, I was telling the truth when I said that there's the occasional blind companion alley that they go down on the show. This just wasn't one of them. They did end up bringing Stephen back. So, yeah, he accepted the contract in between filming the final episode of the last story and the first episode of this one. With all this going on, as well as Verity Lambert having put in her notice, uh, she put in a special request for Dennis Spooner to be allowed to write this story despite the fact that he was the current story editor, which was something that was generally discouraged. Their boss, Donald Wilson, agreed, and then almost immediately after, Spooner also put in his notice, so it didn't really matter, but he still ended up writing this story anyway. Spooner's goal in this story, if you couldn't tell, was to fundamentally shift what a historical story could be and to kill the idea that history was unchangeable once and for all. And the way that he decided to do this was by adding in science fiction elements, creating what is referred to as the pseudo-historical story. From a Watsonian perspective, the doctor is still dead set against this course of action. Yes. But yeah, and this type of story is one that would probably be familiar to um, modern day Doctor Who fans because this is the type of historical story that you'll see nowadays where you have sci-fi elements in your history. Where you think it's a history and then there's aliens and it's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Spooner named his characters after historical people from the time. I liked Ragnar. Yeah. Ulf. Ulf. Sven. Wolnoth. Ragnar Johnson. Bay and I are <laughs> talking about potential kids' names. And so R- Ragnar Johnson? Ragnar, Sven Ragnar Johnson? is cool. I know um, there was a, a relative. Havel. Havor. I like it. <laughs> good, good. So the new script editor who would be replacing Spooner started working during this story. He was Donald Tosh. Verity Lambert's replacement, John Wiles, also began shadowing her during this story. Wiles was from South Africa. He was born in 1925 and died in 1999. 
He worked in the BBC script department as a writer and story editor for about a decade by this point. He had story edited the soap opera Compact, which Tosh had already done, and he had also worked on various thriller serials at BBC. He'd done some theatrical directing, and that was what he wanted to do. He wanted to move into television directing. According to him, he constantly pestered the head of serials about being put in the BBC's director's course, and he ended up getting stuck in this job instead. (laughs) To say that he took this new role reluctantly is an understatement. He had zero interest in being stuck behind a desk as a producer. And it's been said that the only thing that Wiles and Hartnell could agree upon was that neither one of them wanted Wiles to be there. Oh, dang. (laughs) Both Wiles and Tosh felt that Doctor Who was stuck in a childish rut and wanted to push it away from just monsters towards more adult science fiction. One idea that Wiles had was the very Roddenberry-esque idea of a story in which the TARDIS was hijacked by God. Ugh. Is that big G God or a little G God? Not sure. I would assume no. big G. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank God. No, they basically wanted to make Star Trek Five. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like one that's of the worst based, Star yeah, Treks. That's pretty much what that sounds like they wanted to do. Hartnell did not take to Tosh and Wiles very well. And he responded to them by purposely throwing tantrums during the rehearsals for this story in an attempt to intimidate them. That is so <laughs> unprofessional. I, uh, <laughs> Actors. That's, that's too bad because while we were watching this one, I was saying to Maggie, I really like Hartnell. I thought he did series. a great job. Yeah, he was great. But yeah. uh, I just, uh, I just, actors. <laughs> <laughs> This begins what can best be described as an all-out war between Hartnell and Wiles, in which both wanted the other gone. Donald Tosh has stated that Hartnell and Wiles fought like cats and dogs whenever they met. John Wiles has accused William Hartnell of playing at being a frail old man and of having a lot of strategic illnesses over the course of his time on the show. Okay, but just look at the guy. Come on. (laughs) I mean, he did not look well, right? He looked very thin in this to me, Mm -hmm. I thought. Wiles admits that it did turn out that Hartnell wasn't in the best of health, but Wiles never believed that Hartnell was as bad off as he acted, at least at this point in time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Shawnee, let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Do we like this guy? What is... Which guy? John Wiles? Yeah, like you're reading all this stuff and I'm thinking in my head, like this guy's kind of a jerk. Is that accurate? Or what is your... I, I feel biased towards Hartnell because we've watched <laughs> him on screen for so long. My opinion on him is that I absolutely despise John Wiles for a number of different reasons. Okay, wait, I'm not clear. You so you're saying you don't like him? <laughs> yes, I just have a tiny little bit of a problem. And I absolutely believe that he is the worst producer that Doctor Who ever had. Wow. I appreciate you trying to keep it objective in your <laughs> synopsis, but I want the dirt. <laughs> so... Uh, Wiles says that William Hartnell would put everyone through hell and that the crew had a secret code on the set. When somebody said, you'd better phone the designer, 
that meant get Wiles down here now to deal with Hartnell. Okay, but this guy is an unreliable narrator. Yes. Yeah, especially since Wiles outlived Hartnell by a good quarter century. And was probably still talking dirt about him. Yeah, what? Yeah. (laughs) Wiles is one of a couple people whose version of events involving William Hartnell has done a lot to shape Hartnell's reputation. Oh, Hartnell had his own set of complaints about Wiles and Tosh. One big thing that he didn't like was that the two wanted to move his doctor back to the earlier, harsher version of the doctor Mm. from season one. Boo! Yeah. I think season two doctor has been much more interesting. I much preferred his performance and personality in this than in the other serial I watched from season one. He was far more kind of delightful instead of grumping at everybody constantly. Not a fan mm-hmm. of the Keys of Mariness? Well, <laughs> no. <laughs> There's plenty of other complaints that Hartnell had that we'll talk about as this war of wills between the two develops. But overall... William Hartnell was just lashing out right now because he was somebody who was very opposed to change and there was a lot of change going on right now. Mm. Things were still solid among the cast. Hartnell and O'Brien got along well. They both got along well with Peter Purvis. O'Brien was always able to laugh him out of his tempers and bring out his charm. Is that Vicky? Yeah. Okay, I really liked her too. And Hartnell also got along well with the director of this serial, Douglas Camfield. Tosh and Wiles did note this, as well as Camfield's willingness to change scripts for better viewing and logic. And so he would be somebody who they would bring back. Oh, well, that's big of him to want to have (laughs) better viewing and logic in his scripts. (laughs) I thought this was well directed. Oh, yeah. I mean, they did a good job with what was clearly like two corridors. Do you know what I mean? Like it was shot very well for the restraints they had, I thought. (laughs) You even brought that up at one point. It's like, we feel like we're going around in circles. (laughs) I know you've been leading me around here. (laughs) That's pretty good, seeing as they only (laughs) have this set. (laughs) Yeah, Camfield has always been one of the best Doctor Who directors. Uh, The writer, of course, was Dennis Spooner, and the designer was Barry Newbery. As far as the guest cast, the main one is Peter Butterworth, who played the monk. I loved him. I yeah. thought he was so good. So, oh, yeah. so good. So good. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he was definitely a known comedy actor. He was best known for his roles in 16 of the 31 movies in the Carry On film franchise, all of which were after this. And he has over 100 credits on IMDb. Wow. I had to immediately IMDB him because he has one of those faces yeah. where you're just like, I know this person, even though this was, what, 70 years ago or something like that. I just, I he was very recognizable to me. I'm pretty sure we've seen other people in this serial before, though. Like the one that stands out to me was um, Edith. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was very familiar. Yes, she was her, the cave woman back in the first story. See, uh-huh. I thought so. There yeah, was something in so. her voice. Yeah. Maybe one day they'll let her be in a like modern story and she won't have to be <laughs> playing a like medieval covered or, in dirt. Yeah, covered in dirt person. <laughs> hey, she's she's moving up in history. That character was um a was very strong female character though. I appreciated oh, yeah. Edith. Yeah, for sure. So let's move on to talking about the actual story. And we'll start, of course, with episode one, The Watcher. 
we begin inside the TARDIS, where Vicky is staring at a clock, the doctor is staring at a council, and Vicky finally sighs and brings up the fact that she'll miss Ian and Barbara. This might have something to do with time. <laughs> is she really going to miss Ian? I will. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that this episode, as someone who did not see the serial before it, I thought they did a, a very nice job of letting me know what like the big events from yeah. the previous episode. So as a, you know, say a casual viewer, I knew where we were. I hadn't seen Vicky before, but I mean, clearly she's the companion. And oh, okay, so Ian and Barbara have left. So now we're on our own. So I, I had a good catch up very quickly to the story and it, fe- it didn't felt feel shoehorned it was just they were discussing the events that just happened it felt natural as the doctor's talking about you know how he should have known that they'd want to leave and vicky's assuring him don't worry i'm going to stay i've got nowhere else to go they suddenly hear a rattle and a thud they sneak over to the living quarters assuming that a dalek probably found their way on board I like how here the doctor removes his coat to throw over the Dalek while Vicky <laughs> prepares to beat it with her shoe. Oh, I, I thought don't... he was hiding behind it, so I didn't really understand that strategy. Like he's, it's, Whatever it is, you're just a dude behind a coat. Yeah, but if you throw that coat over his eye stock, maybe you could get some leverage. Throw it over that pepper pot. But I don't know what she's going to do with that shoe. Yeah. <laughs> when the door opens, we see shoes, some torn up pants, It pans up to a panda, and we see that it's Steven, who immediately collapses. And Bay starts yelling that Shawnee's a filthy liar. (laughs) Yeah, basically. (laughs) I really was ticked for a little while. You got me. Yeah, I was pretty surprised, too. Steven? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I don't seem to remember much about it. There was a door. I went through it. I must have flaked out. I remember registering that, well, it didn't look like a ship. It was very small. I must have been delirious. I don't suppose you were. It is very small outside. It's just in here it's big. Oh, come off it. <laughs> you don't believe me, do you? Oh, of course I do, Vicky. Every word. This isn't an ordinary ship, you know. This is a time machine. Time machine? The ship may have a way out design, but time machines, that's ridiculous. Doctor? He says the TARDIS isn't a time machine. Oh, does he now? Tell him. Mm, I don't see why I shoot my child. You'll learn soon enough. So the TARDIS lands on a hill where a monk is watching. Inside the TARDIS, Stephen tells them how he managed to escape the mechanoid city. He doesn't remember much, just a small door that didn't look like a ship. When they tell him a bit about it, He doesn't believe that it's bigger on the inside, and he thinks that time machines are ridiculous, so Stephen might just be a tad bit skeptical. This did not have him come off well. I didn't (laughs) see him in the past episode, so my first impression was him clearly being on an alien ship. This can't be real. And they had mentioned, isn't he, like, from our future on another planet? Like, these things are not... I, I actually think that this is a really interesting point in the series for us because to this point, we've mostly had either people who were also aliens, like the Doctor, so Susan, or we've had Ian and Barbara who are from our time or, you know, the viewer's time in 1965. 
We haven't had a lot of companions from Earth's distant future. Now we have two of them and no one from modern times. Yeah. His skepticism did not come off as realistic to me. It came off as him just looking like an idiot. He does look pretty stupid throughout <laughs> yeah, this serial. Yeah. <laughs> do you guys like, do we like Steve? <laughs> I, I like Steve. Well, I like um, Purvis. I think he's good. He's definitely good, um, charismatic actor. And I think he's very physical. Yeah. I had to look up where he's from because his accent was crazy. One second I thought, oh, he must be from the north, like Sean Bean. And then I thought he was, oh, no, he sounds like a beetle. And it turns out he's right between. He's from Lancashire. So I had to look that up. Hmm. But I'm a big nerd for stuff like that. <laughs> I see. I, I'm like, he's English. He's English. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that is the dematerializing control. And that over yonder is the horizontal hold. Up there is the scanner. Those are the doors. That is a chair with a panda on it. Sheer poetry, dear boy. Now, please stop bothering me. <laughs> Look, you gave this ship a name just now. What was it? TARDIS. T-A-R-D-I-S. It stands for Time and Relative Dimensions in Space. It be. What? It be? Hmm. I-D-B-I. Yeah. Means I don't believe it. So we get a great speech here from the doctor about the TARDIS. I like, you know, that's a chair with a panda on it. Sheer poetry, dear boy. (laughs) (laughs) And they continue telling him about the ship. Vicky tells him what TARDIS means, time and relative dimensions in space. Though as she does so, she adds that extra letter to the end of dimension, turning it into dimensions. This was a mistake on her part, and it's one that has been repeated ever since. So it's become the norm. Shawnee, what is it that, how did the doctor refer to what I thought was the chameleon circuit, but they called it something else? Yeah, I don't remember exactly what he says. Camouflage circuit, actually, is what they said. Yeah, uh, yeah I definitely right. pinned on that. Steven responds with IDBI. I don't believe it. They've landed on Earth, so they're going to show him just how right they are. Outside, we have a house where there is a woman, Edith, by a fire. Eldridge shows up looking for Edith's husband, Woolnoth. I'm so glad that's in the credits because I would have no idea what they were saying. The only person whose name I knew was Sven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not even Ulf? No. Oh, there was an Ulf. I knew what Ragnar and Sven. That was it. No, I didn't know Edith had a name. The monk. Well, yes. They always say just the monk. Eldred tells them how a box washed up on the beach and the two men go off to investigate it. Did anybody else notice, like, Eldred's crazy, like, Village of the Damned Eyes? (laughs) (laughs) If I'd known his name was Eldred, I would have just, in my head, called him Eldred Horror. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he looked like he was, like, constantly being poked in the butt and surprised. (laughs) I mean, it was was 1066. Maybe he was. I don't know. (laughs) Outside the TARDIS, the doctor says that it's 11th century England while he's examining a horned helmet. Which is funny because Stephen always says they're in the 10th century and we were flipping out being like, no, it's the 11th. (laughs) And you have one of the best exchanges in classic Doctor Who when the doctor shows Stephen the helmet. Hmm. Well, there you are, young man. What do you think of that now, eh? A Viking helmet. Uh, Maybe. What do you mean, maybe? What do you think it is, a space helmet for a cow? 
<laughs> I really liked that. That was a good joke. Yes. Steven, still skeptical, suggests maybe it's part of a costume. Oh, Steven, look around! <laughs> Jeez. He does wonder why the doctor doesn't know exactly where they are. It has to be explained to him that they never really know where they are. The doctor can't really control the machine. Possibly it might, but I'm not a mountain goat, and I prefer walking to any day, and I hate climbing. They also let him know that the ship is meant to blend in with its surroundings, which is just another technological hitch when he wonders why it's not a pebble, but a telephone box. And yeah, in his response here, we get a rare example of William Hartnell correcting for somebody else's mistake when Purvis initially says the TARDIS landed on pebbles instead of rocks. Of course, Hartnell then immediately hits us with the following gem. I'm not a mountain goat. I prefer walking to it any day, and I hate climbing. Huh. <laughs> I guess I see what he said. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. He's William Hartnell. He can say whatever he wants. <laughs> what are they going to do? Fire him? How would you fire Doctor Who? How could you possibly replace Doctor Who? Exactly. <laughs> so the doctor wants to find a village in order to convince Stephen that they're actually in the past. But he tells them to remain by the ship while he goes and looks around. Of course, after the doctor leaves, the other two go off on their own as well because nobody ever listens. Well, well that's what a good companion does. Exactly. It also was dumb for them to split up, but whatever. It's Doctor <laughs> Who. They all Companions split ask up. very good questions and wander off and get into trouble. Come on, honey. You've seen enough yep. at this point. <laughs> <laughs> the monk has been listening to all this while he's hiding behind a rock. After they all leave, he goes and examines the TARDIS. He also goes to look at something on his wrist and realizes that whatever it was is missing. Bit later, the doctor is at Woolnoth's house, where while he's looking around, he finds himself on the wrong end of a stick, which pins him against the wall by his throat. So ding for the doctor. Can we please talk about <laughs> how he just walked into those people's house? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. everybody just walks yeah, up. This is like on Animal Crossing. We've been playing Animal Crossing and like you just <laughs> knock on a door and immediately open it and go in. Yep. Like, oh, cool. It's, it's fine if I come in here, right? It's not locked. <laughs> Look, the doctor is just an RPG hero. Yeah. <laughs> he goes into people's houses, breaks their pots, takes, you know, the medicinal herbs that he finds in them. <laughs> that is an excellent point. Yeah, he's even got a party. That's an excellent point. Meanwhile, the monk is back at his monastery. He had light turns on in his window, and we hear the sound of the monks chanting. Back at the house, the doctor is just sitting down with Edith, drinking some mead. She explains to him how they're afraid of strangers, but when a traveler comes by, they try to welcome them as best they can. The doctor asks her some questions that helps him pinpoint exactly when he is. 1066. This is another example of his uh, kind of social engineering that mm -hmm. Andy was really admiring, mm -hmm. where he kind of zeroes in on it. They've, they've done a little bit of this in this particular serial, but uh, I thought it was pretty cool, especially since, you know, I don't particularly know very much about the Battle of Hastings, but... Maggie was, like, right on top of them. That's right. It's 1066, folks. I was 
pumped. 1066, Norman Invasion, William the Conqueror, Battle of Hastings, let's do it. None of that's in the show. Okay. No, well... (laughs) (laughs) No, but I mean, like, you hit most of the stuff that I had heard of, but it is kind of fascinating to watch through this and still not have a very clear idea of what happened. Yeah, too bad bad Barbara wasn't here to tell us about the Battle of Hastings. She would have set us straight. She definitely yep. would have. Which is something that the doctor himself comments on. It is true. It is true. He does lament her loss. If only someone was here to explain to the children. <laughs> but those chi- those British school children are supposed to know this They stuff probably already. know. They definitely know better than we do. Yeah. But he lets us know a little bit anyway, mumbling how there's going to be a Viking invasion soon when the king's going to come up. And that's when William's going to attack from the south. I just want to point out that Harold is probably the most disappointing name for a king ever. Yeah. Oh, this King Harold. Really? <laughs> okay. Is that what we're going with? Well, okay. that was the name. <laughs> <laughs> it, you, you can't change history. Well, no, but I apparently guess you can, can Shawnee. <laughs> apparently you can. Yeah. <laughs> So while they're talking, there are some weird distortions in the monks singing, like a recording is failing. I I was going to ask about this because I couldn't figure out what was going on. I mean, I think it's supposed to kind of like throw the viewer off anyway. But was the doctor doing something to make that happen? Because he had that pot. He was over the cooking pot. Yeah, it, it made me think he was like intentionally doing something to distort it at first. He definitely was suspecting that it wasn't real when he was outside. Yeah, but no, it, I don't think he was doing anything to make it happen. I just think it was a glitch in the gramophone. Mm-hmm. Huh. But yeah, the doctor immediately notices it, of course, and starts asking Edith about the monks. He learns that they moved in very recently. The monastery had been deserted for a long time before that. And the villagers had only ever seen one of these monks. The doctor decides to go and investigate. As you do when you're the hero in an RPG. <laughs> Stephen and Vicky, meanwhile, are wandering about in the woods. They're very lost. Stephen especially. Yes. <laughs> Stephen is so lost he doesn't even realize he's in a different time period or planet. <laughs> I, he's like, I still don't believe it. He's probably an anti-vaxxer. Ah, Stephen, why? So they hear somebody coming and they hide. Stephen wants to ask for directions, but Vicky tells him to do what she says and hide until they know it's safe. Stephen, you're really new to this whole companion thing, aren't you? Stephen's like, I'm going to do the thing. And Vicky's like, don't do the thing. And Stephen's like, I'm going to do the thing. And Vicky's like, please don't do the thing. And then Stephen does the thing. And it goes just about as well as you expect it. Yep, as soon as the man goes and picks up whatever he finds on the ground, Stephen jumps out and they wrestle a bit until Vicky tells them to knock it off. The guy hits Stephen and runs away. But Stephen has managed to get a hold of the object, smugly holds it up, and shows her that it's a wristwatch, asking, so what's this doing in 10th century England? Uh, I mean, what are you doing uh, in 10th century 11th England? 11th century. First of all, you're not in 10th century England. 
Stephen does not know how time works in many ways. <laughs> the doctor arrives at the monastery and tries to open the door, but it's locked. Inside, we see the monk's hand unlocking the door, and the door swings open. The doctor wanders around a bit and finds the gramophone that's playing the chanting. I thought this was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As soon as he turns it off, a wooden door drops down, trapping him in the room with the gramophone. The monk appears on the other side, laughing. <laughs> oh, 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 and we get like, it wasn't a freeze frame because he's holding it. He's oh, holding his it eyes. for like- Hartnell's eyes he's got those are like crazy eyes. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> he's looking down at the monk through the slats in the door, just like, you, I'm gonna get you. <laughs> when it keeps going on. And then it finally ends. (laughs) (laughs) And so now we go to episode two, The Meddling Monk. So wait, I just want to make something clear here. Yes. The first episode is The Watcher. Yes. The second is The Meddling Monk. So even while I was watching this, I was like, are they really going to name two episodes for the same thing? I mean, like... The, I, I know that the name of this serial is commonly called the Time Meddler. So that's like three things named <laughs> for the same guy. Well, but he's important for the history of the series, though, right? This is the first time we've met someone else who is of the same time traveling. Yeah. Whatever. Because I mean, I don't think they'd come up with the concept of kind of what or really who the doctor is yet. So, but this is, if you were watching this, it must, uh, um, contemporaneously, it must have been very shocking to meet another time traveler. We've never seen anyone else like the doctor before, right? Mm -hmm. He is in more ways kind of like the doctor's equal than a lot of people that we've met so far. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is an episode called A Battle of Wits. Yeah. Checkmate. It's not much of a battle if it's only one wit. (laughs) He's he's very much our first potential arch rival for the Doctor that we get. So in episode two, The Meddling Monk, it begins with the monk using a toaster while humming to himself. He brings a giant plate of food to the Doctor's cell, and we hear the Doctor, you know, yelling at him to go away as liquid gets hurled at the monk's face. And I believe this is the last we get from the doctor in this story because William Hartnell's agent managed to get him another week off just a couple months after his previous one. Huh. I did not notice that. They just told Hartnell it was uh, the showrunner that he didn't like. So So that was probably not even him who did that, right? It was just some rando behind the door who threw it. Yeah, I mean, it probably, yeah. He was just being a, you know, who's like a character on Dynasty or something. He's just being a big old drama queen. Yep. Well, it sounds like that was what was going on behind the scenes, too. Oh. Yeah. Who knows? This might have been one of Hartnell's strategic illnesses. Oh, right. <laughs> and then when he died, the show producer's like, oh, I guess maybe he wasn't that well. <laughs> like, oh, that's big of you. <laughs> But yeah, Hartnell pre-recorded the few lines that he had in this sto- in this episode. That's a good job if you can get it. Yep. So, in the woods, there are villagers moving around near where Vicky is sleeping. She wakes up feeling that something is wrong and calls for Stephen. Stephen's still lording the whole watch thing over her, 
She suggests that it might be the doctors, but he's trying to get her to admit that this whole time travel stuff is nonsense. <sighs> then they're attacked, Vicky's grabbed, and they get dragged off to the village. So, good job, Stephen. I'm just saying, Stephen doesn't have a good track record anyway. <laughs> yes. The first time we met him was in a prison. <laughs> Stephen's kind of not bright. <laughs> I'm just saying it. I mean, you know, he's replacing Ian, so... <laughs> <laughs> They've hired him for his looks, not for his brains. As this is going on, the monk is at the top of a hill looking around through some binoculars. While he's doing this, he appears to be doing some coke. (laughs) (laughs) We were watching that and Maggie even had mentioned, like, what's happening? (laughs) This is not a 1980s bathroom. What is this guy doing? This is not the time or the place, literally. (laughs) I'm I'm guessing it's probably snuff, but... (laughs) I do enjoy all of his little historical anachronisms yes. uh, they clearly had a lot of fun and so did the so did peter butterworth just like giving him all of these things from different time periods yeah. i thought it was very fun yeah you know, bay's like he's got binoculars like, he was using a toaster yeah. <laughs> nothing makes sense <laughs> I, it just made me annoyed at how like freaking blatant he was yeah well i mean there's not that many people around <laughs> he does live in a monastery by himself yep So we get to see what he's looking at through those binoculars, and it's a Viking ship off in the distance. This Viking ship footage came from a 1949 BBC newsreel from a reenactment of the first crossing of the North Sea in 449. I thought it looked great. I I thought it spliced in great. And like, that's the thing I was, I found myself thinking, like, if this hadn't been black and white, that would have looked so (laughs) terrible, right? Because like, (laughs) in color film, you know, like, there's always subtle differences of this film stock or the F-stop or the whatever that the director chose to use. But in black and white, it was totally convincing. I was like, wow, nice. They spent some budget for just that tiny little shot. Yeah, it looked really good. I thought actually thought overall this ep- like I was saying earlier, it was probably styrofoam, but it it everything looked good. That monastery looked really creepy. Mm-hmm. Um, they did they did really well shooting around what they had in these four episodes. Yeah, I mean they kept it, you know, just a few locations which they used very well, just a few actors which they used very well. They really did a lot of good with what they had with this story. I I can't help but wish that they had a larger budget and that some of these episodes were truncated because there's a lot of running around in these first three episodes. There was a lot of I found like some pacing issues, but imagine if you had like glommed a few of these episodes together and had something a little bit more epic on the back end. This could have been a really good tight two episodes, I think. Well, I would have cut out probably the stuff about the Vikings wandering around. Oh, I like our our comic (laughs) Vikings. Yeah, well, that top knot was... (laughs) (laughs) Man bun? Yeah, I'll talk about that later. (laughs) I have thoughts. (laughs) He's ahead of his time. Right. Pretty authentic Saxon, isn't it? Don't tell me you've actually started to believe us. Well, I mean, they'd hardly go to all this trouble for a fancy dress ball now, would they? Back at the village, Stephen is 
finally beginning to come around to this whole time travel concept because he's decided that these are some pretty authentic-looking Saxons. The villagers, meanwhile, are arguing. Eldred thinks that they're probably Viking spies and should be killed. Woolnoth thinks that they're probably travelers and they should be kind to the travelers. Eldred goes to just flat-out murder them, but is stopped by Edith's arrival, who describes the doctor and says that he was a traveler who came by. Eldred is upset that he didn't get to spill some blood and tells them that they'll regret not listening to him. Finally, Vicky has had enough of this and just yells at them to let us go or do whatever it is you're going to do, but just make up your minds. Oh, she's so good. <laughs> I would rather be dead than listen to you bicker yeah. more. I loved it. So Vicky good. has shown in the past that she does not like bickering very much. <laughs> and she is easily bored. <laughs> Woolneth has Edith give them food, and they tell them that the doctor went to the monastery Vicky and Steven start heading off in that direction. At the cliffs, we are greeted by the arrival of a Viking or five. Okay, now, what happens is we get a picture of a cliff, and then this majestic helmet crests <laughs> over over the, the cliffside, over the crag. That helmet like, was off the chain. I want one of those mm -hmm. real bad. Think of the cosplay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cosplay this specific Viking from this specific episode, and Shawnee is the only person who will get it. <laughs> okay, but if you, like, rolled up in the club with that helmet on. When was the last time you went to a club? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the Vikings are here. They're going to go look around. They're here. They're queer. They're going to look around. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> it was pretty stupid to give himself away like that. It's easily done. Too easy. I don't think we've been as clever as we think we have. Oh, now what does that mean? Well, look, say he's the one who's tricked us. Say he gave himself away deliberately like that in order to make us think we'd fooled him. Vicky, there's only one way we can find out what's going on in there. That's to break in. That's exactly what he wants us well, to possibly, do. Well, possibly, but we've no other choice. We'll wait till it's dark. Come on. Back at the monastery... Stephen knocks on the door and is greeted by the monk. Stephen starts saying how he's looking for a friend, and the monk just starts being all philosophical, talking about how, well, we're all looking for something. Peace, solitude, whatever. This whole exchange was wild. This was not the Battle of the Wits. That is clearly not it. <laughs> Eventually, the monk just says, you know, nobody's knocked on the door for days. We haven't seen anybody. But they ask him, why don't you go ask the others if they saw him? He's confused momentarily <laughs> until Vicky explains, you know, the other monks. So, yeah, not the battle of wits we were hoping for. The monk says that he's sure they would have mentioned it, but he'll go check to make sure. While he's gone, Vicky and Stephen are talking. Vicky kind of believes the monk. She guesses, well, doctor must not have come here. But finally, Stephen's skepticism comes in handy because he doesn't believe a word of it. He's sure the monk was expecting them. He's sure the doctor wouldn't be anywhere else but here. 
And he has a plan for what to do when the monk comes back and asks Vicky not to say anything, which is not the easiest thing for Vicky to do. <laughs> oh, dang, Sean. <laughs> so the monk, meanwhile, has been listening to all this from behind the door. <gasps> Jesus, so dumb. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. He tells them that no one's seen their friend. Stephen says, well, can you keep an eye out for him? Do you remember his description? Monk says, oh, yes, I do, and describes the doctor perfectly. In, in a lot more detail than they provided. Which, since they had provided zero detail, <laughs> yep. Stephen says, you've got it, and they start to leave. After the monk is gone, Vicky, it dawns on Vicky, hey, we didn't give him a description. <laughs> But then she does realize it was pretty stupid of him to fall for that trick so easily. Okay, but the writers use these little, you know, like tricks and and, and um, rhetorical games that people play with each other so often that now they're doing like kind of double cross stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you, did you think about that when you were watching this? I was like, how many times has Ian caught somebody in a lie like this? Yeah. Yes, that exactly. That now we're getting to the point where... Even the characters are like, wait a minute, like that was too <laughs> easy, you know? Maybe he knew that we knew that he knew that, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. like, no. Well, all, all I was thinking was, is he the type of man who would put the poison in his own cup or would he put it in the cup in front of me? <laughs> but then he would know that I would know that he's the type of, I'm just getting started. I was just, uh, the whole conversation, I was just thinking of that scene in The Princess Bride. Well, she just <laughs> realizes that Stephen thinks he's cleverer than he actually is. Well, yeah, because yeah, Stephen's a moron. <laughs> I did again, though. I like Vicky just being the one who's like, "You are dumb. Yeah. We'll just do what I think. We'll just do what I say because I'm the smart one." And she is, of course, correct. Yes. Stephen suggests that they just break in, and when Vicky points out that's probably what he wants us to do, Stephen points out that they really don't have any other choice anyway. What else is, is there fair. for us to do? Yeah, that is a fair point. So they start to look for a way to sneak in. Those travelers. I know it. I said you would regret not listening to me, Wilmot. But even I would not have thought them capable of the Get the man! That night, back at the village, Edith hears something. She grabs a weapon to go look around and is attacked by a drop viking. <laughs> a drop viking? It's like a drop bear. Yeah. Like from out of nowhere? Yep. Yes. I'm sorry. I don't. I'm like Captain America in the Mar. I don't get this reference. <laughs> <laughs> the Viking just sort of drops in from nowhere. Suddenly, a Viking. Okay, I got you. So they, the Vikings, jag her inside the house. This was very dark. Yes. This, yeah. I thought she was murdered or clearly assaulted, and so I found this very disturbing. Yeah. Also, this is ostensibly a kids' show. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, something real bad happened to her. But then they kind of don't talk about it which i guess is that's what probably you do. better but yeah, yeah but yeah so I, I don't know i thought it was pretty awful hey listen people know what the vikings did that's okay? my yeah. point yeah it was because dark. when we see her again a little bit later when Wolneth comes home she is very shell-shocked and clearly traumatized I yeah she was I, dead. I thought that was a ding <laughs> yeah no i thought she was like dead and, and or like you know yeah I was really worried about that for a second. But no, she is 
clearly alive since she's moaning for a bit and moving around a little. Wilnoth sends Eldred to go to the village to get help. Eldred immediately blames those travelers who came by earlier and says, I told you so before yeah, going. Yeah, that girl with the, with the pigtails is clearly behind this vicious attack. Yep. And Edith just continues moaning before saying Vikings. We see the Vikings as they are carrying their loot through the woods, laughing as they go. Vikings are so jolly. In a little bit, they're suddenly attacked by the villagers. A bit of a fight ensues, complete with some drumming battle music. And eventually the probably very inebriated Vikings run <laughs> off after one <laughs> of them is killed. Yeah, I I don't know. I, w- I was surprised that they got the drop on that one Viking. I thought the Vikings were going to overpower them for sure. But there, w- there was some like kind of wild choreography. A lot of holding the sword edge which yeah. it's you know, sweet of you to call it choreography uh, yeah it was a it was a bit messy i'm pretty sure they were just like okay run in and attack each other now benny hill yeah, yeah. <laughs> we do get a ding for at least one viking and possibly ding. some more dings i'm not sure who can say were people alive back then even really alive <laughs> were they people really <laughs> Well, Eldred, I, I couldn't quite figure out, but he he was hitting the arm, I think. Yeah, Eldred It actually gets looked injured. like he got stabbed in the, like, the complete side of his body, but then later it was just holding his arm. So, I don't know. And yeah, Wolnoff ends up carrying him off to the monastery to seek some help from the monks. Back in our monastery, the monk is walking around. As he goes past a window, we see Stephen's head pop up. And he and Vicky enter the building. They look at which way to go, both shrug and say, walk this way, and head in different directions. Classic. I, this is the more, part of, more Aerosmith jokes. <laughs> the rest of this episode is just a Scooby-Doo episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Where they're just like running down different hallways and passing each other. <laughs> But yeah, then Steven just comes back and follows Vicky because maybe he's finally learned that Vicky knows what she's doing. I would definitely have Vicky on my zombie apocalypse survival team. Actually, considering the Scooby-Doo bent, it's kind of funny <laughs> that they pull off the old man's face and there was an alien underneath. <laughs> Honey, we're not to that part yet. <laughs> You're ruining it for the listener. Wait, they pulled off his face? I don't remember that at all. Oh God, the show is dark. <laughs> they pulled off his face and it was Nicolas Cage underneath. Oh, God, that is terrifying. <laughs> of course, the monk knows that they've made it inside, and he turns on his gramophone to pull the same trick that he did with the doctor. Vicky and Steven sneak around, but the monk is watching, waiting for them to fall into his trap. And then there's an inconvenient banging on his door, so he has to go and take care of that. Stephen and Vicky follow the chanting and find the gramophone in the trap room and look at it in wonder. They continue looking around and they find the cell where the doctor is asleep. Stephen begins to pick the lock. With his lock picks that he Yeah, has. right. Like, what the hell, Stephen? I was, we were wondering about that too. Well, Maggie, you had even asked me, is there a sonic screwdriver yet? Yeah. Because when uh, when that gate fell on the other side of the doctor, she's like, oh, he could just use that. That ain't no thing. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he has uh, he's wily in other ways. 
We don't see a sonic screwdriver for quite a while yet. Oh, great. No, I know some people don't like it because it's like a crutch, right? Yeah. You can just use it to get out of any situation. He, This doctor has to use his wits. <laughs> but, you know, apparently uh, Stephen is just the rogue of the group because he can pick random monastery doors. Yeah, the rogue <laughs> is dumb. <laughs> <laughs> he has a negative five int modifier. He gets one skill point per level. <laughs> While this is going on, the monk answers the door, and Wolnoff barges in with the wounded Eldred, much to the monk's annoyance. Vicky and Steven manage to get into the cell, but they can't find the doctor there. Underneath the blanket is just some piled up furs. He's gone. I thought this was a pretty good cliffhanger, though. And yeah, the question is now, is did the doctor make it look like he was there and he snuck out? Or did the monk do that to lure them in so they would think that, I don't know, who's set the Wait, trap? Wait, okay, so you're saying that he knew that they knew that he knew. <laughs> that he put the poison in his own cup. Yes. <laughs> it's a battle of wits. Is it? Yes, which incidentally is the title of episode three. That was a very excellent segue. I know. <laughs> I'm a professional. I'm a podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> Look at me. I'm a podcaster. I got a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's one of those things where it's like to be a podcaster, you just have to make your own pod. It's not. It's like when they put organic on food. Right. <laughs> There's no right. real regulations, people. <laughs> I'm in a room. I'm real smart. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Stephen. <laughs> he just Wikipedia things. That's how Stephen. Yeah, Stephen. His thesis is full of Wikipedia sites, and, and you're Wikipedia. Just like, what are you even doing, Stephen? How to pick a door? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, I should have the pick a door cast now. I'm sorry. <laughs> He's gone. He's gone. Vicky just sounded so forlorn when she says that he's gone. <laughs> it kind of made you sad. But they begin to wonder what happened to the missing doctor. It's definitely his cloak. The door is definitely locked. So where is he? Vicky, being an expert at these sorts of things, starts looking for a secret passage. Stephen, of course, is skeptical. Stephen, I can't even handle you right now. <laughs> just... <sighs> Just he get out of her know. way. Just get out of Vicky's way and just let her solve the plot. <laughs> <sighs> they should just leave him in there. I would have just left him in there. <laughs> it's not the first time he's been in a cell. Right? It's yes, like home. Exactly. And, you know, she just saw one of these secret passages just last story. So while Stephen is being all Stephen, Vicky finds a loose stone and bam, secret passage. As Stephen points out, she is very raptor-like as he calls her a clever girl. <laughs> Oh, you took away my joke. Oh, Shani. <laughs> I hope you're happy with yourself. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> so soon they're crawling through a tunnel. After giving Eldred a place to rest, the monk hurries back to check on his intruders. And when he goes to look at the doctor's cell, he finds it empty. He looks around, nobody's hiding behind the bed, the door, nobody's under the bed. He's getting a little bit nervous now, but he's called away by his other group of unwanted guests. 
Can't a guy just go to an 11th century monastery to try to find some peace and quiet? And chill out? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Goodbye. Oh, and uh, uh, don't worry, don't worry. The Vikings will land south of here in the Humber. And King Harold will defeat them. <laughs> and in a few weeks' time, he loses the Battle of Hastings to William the Conqueror. <laughs> well, at least that's what the history books said happened. As all that is going on, the doctor has managed to make it back to the village and is just chilling out with a surprisingly good Edith. She yeah, seems she's to be fine doing now. well. I was yeah, just, she bounced uh, right back. It was crazy. I'm like, oh, okay. So now they're just like having tea or whatever. She's really resilient. Yeah, she is. Really, yeah. She is the real hero of this whole story, if you ask me. He learns that his friends went to the monastery to look for him, and Edith tells the doctor that. The men of the village have all gone off looking for a small band of Vikings. Uh, the doctor mentions something about a fleet, and he says that he's heard plans of an invasion, which she connects with some man of the village traveling south to join the king's army. The doctor also mentions the monk, indicating that he might be involved with the Vikings in some way. Okay, so... I'm an ignorant American. Yes. What I gathered from these episodes is there was a series of Viking invasions. Are those the Saxons, by the way? No, the Saxons are the or people the Saxons, who were living there. Yeah, they the Saxons are the villagers. The Saxons are the villagers coming from Saxony, Germany, right? You know, or, you know, at least Central Europe. Oh, right? yeah. Sorry. I was thinking of the Normans. There's so many people. Yeah. Yes. No, the Normans are the ones coming to conquer, right? Yeah. With William yes. the Conqueror. Right. Okay. Yeah. So the Saxons are already there. The Vikings are coming. King Harold is a Saxon and is so busy fighting Vikings that he cannot defeat William the Conqueror who conquers England. Yes. God. Pretty much. Like, this makes me really, my head hurts. <laughs> There's three groups of men who are just killing each other. No, no, yes. I, I'm just saying for the uninitiated. And two of them are named Harold. Why yeah. are the boatmen with the horns there? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to get my bearings here. I don't understand. <laughs> All you need to know is that William wins, but History that's like entirely not relevant for this episode. Well, his his yeah. epitaph is the conqueror, right? Yes, that's a spoiler. Gosh, William. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Bill. I'm just saying nobody remembers Harold. <laughs> oh dang! I mean, apparently you would have been a great king if only you'd had that atomic cannon. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I mean, I could be a pretty good king will, with an atomic cannon. I'm sorry. I if we could just, for this episode, if like the little image for this episode could just be that like meme of Jackie Chan with his like hands like <laughs> either side of his head. Like, <laughs> pew, pew. I don't no, understand. No, no. Like, why? <laughs> I can't wait till we get to the to-do but, list. But That's with, my oh, yeah. absolute favorite <laughs> yeah. part. But with, but with like a Viking helmet. Like, let's like, yes. somebody out there Photoshop this. I want it done. Okay. This Jackie is a wild Chan. meme. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Vicky and Steven have managed to make it outside and they start calling for the doctor. 
Is it just me or is this the subplot that nobody really cares about? I really like Vicky, but Steven is very tiresome. He, you know, I'm going to give him a chance. He could grow on me. Unless, of course, like this is something else that's been hidden from us and he's friggin' dead at the end of the, you know, okay, never mind. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't even know anymore. I don't know. I don't know. I can't believe in anything. As long as that panda isn't a companion. He gets shot with an arrow and looks down at it and he's like, I'm skeptical as to whether this is actually an arrow. <laughs> is this a Modern arrow. They're really committing, you know. <laughs> Is that your impression of Steven? <laughs> I forgot what Steven sounds like, so now he's like a cockney. He sounds like he's Sean Bean was the fifth Beatle. Now, That's now he's a he's sassy said. cockney He sounds youth. like he's from Yorkshire <laughs> he's and done. Liverpool at the same time. He's from Yorkshire pool. Yeah. I'm the only person who thinks his accent is insane, but it, it's just, it, it was so crazy. I me. like it. I just can't bring it readily to mind right now. Thank you very much. It, it is crazy. I, I don't blame you at all. You get points for even trying. Thank you. <laughs> so yeah, they decide that he's probably gone back to the TARDIS. Stephen wants to go straight back to the monastery because he thinks that the monk has to be wrapped up in something or another. <sighs> But Vicky says, no, nah, we're going to find the doctor first so we could all examine this stuff together. And of course, they do what Vicky says. Back at the monastery, the monk takes some penicillin out of a medical kit and gives these herbs to Eldred. They're really hitting us over the head with this, too, right? Yes. Like It's like, he's got a wristwatch and he's got penicillin and, you know. <laughs> okay, but if you go th back there without penicillin, you are asking for trouble. And no, and I get it. I get it. I do. Two seconds in, I get a UTI and die. Whoa, that's be what would happen. <laughs> I was just expecting him like to be like, uh, "Well, you if only I had a Ford Pinto or something like that." <laughs> and then the Vikings would be like, "What's a Pinto?" You know, like. <laughs> laughing too hard <laughs> i think i have great accents just not not accurate for this episode <laughs> <laughs> i sincerely apologize to any of our british listeners <laughs> what british listeners? i come from the i come from the monty python school of acting you know okay <laughs> that is a fair that is absolutely fair that is absolutely fair oh, the britons <laughs> <laughs> King oh. of the Britons. Well, we are. You are. <laughs> okay, excuse us for the rest of the episode. It's just us yeah. quoting Money Python and the yeah, whole no, that's not going to fly. Other. That's not going to fly. <laughs> I just had to cut out three hours of Monty Python references. <laughs> yeah. If you want to find that podcast, I'll give you the secret download info later. So, where the heck were we? The monk talks to Eldred and Woolnoth a bit, and he learns from Eldred that the Viking scouting party that they fought against means that the fleet is probably two or three days away, and the monk mumbles something about being on schedule. He suggests that Woolnoth takes Eldred home to rest, but Woolnoth insists upon leaving Eldred, and Woolnoth just GTFOs. You're fine, right? Okay, bye. <laughs> yeah. Out in the woods, the surviving Vikings, Sven and Ulf, oh are hiding. This was just like a waiting for Godot. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was frustrated with these two. I mean, like... Okay, they... now which one had the top knot? That was Sven. Yeah, it's that was Sven. Sven. 
Yes. Okay. So Sven was the man bun. They were clearly going for 11th century Viking, but I think they landed more on <laughs> 1980s Stephanie Tanner in Full House because that thing was crazy. <laughs> that was not period appropriate. Ulf wants to hide in the monastery and take the monks hostage. While Sven says that's the cowardly thing to do and threatens to kill him. But Ulf knows that he's just saying what they're both thinking. And Sven says, yeah, you're right. Let's just hide in the monastery. I'm going to be honest. I did not follow the plot that well with these guys. <laughs> I had trouble following like what their plan was, what they were hoping to achieve. This part of the episode was not very clear to me. I think that their plan was, eh, we don't really want to go and join the other Vikings right now, so let's just mess things up at the monastery, because that's where the script says to go. We were having a lot of fun, you know, with uh, all of the Monty Python, Benny Hill stuff. But at the end, when they're just like dudes running through the door <laughs> one after another, and the monk is just like, oh, it, it really did feel like the end of Benny Hill where they're all just yeah. running around and it's it's a mess. Yeah. I mean, you can tell that Butterworth was a comedic actor. Yeah. Okay, but my favorite scene is next. Where we see the monk's progress chart. This oh, thing yes. is wild. I put it on Instagram. <laughs> it is the best to-do list of all time. Can I read it? Can I please, yes, please read go it? Yes, oh, yeah, Absolutely. Okay, number one. What was it arrive in Northumbria? Number two, position atomic cannon. Yeah, that's where I w- <laughs> lost it. Uh, number three, cite the Viking fleet. Uh, number four, light beacon fires. Number five, destroy fleet. Number six, Norman's land. Number seven, battle of Hastings. Like we're just getting bigger and bigger. And then the last one, meet King Harold. Really? Yeah. Like that's your end game? I was yeah. just like bummed that his real end game was just meeting here. I was like, yeah. all this yeah. is to meet Harold? Like, yeah. What is the big deal with Harold? No joke. I was like, this guy just really likes history? Man, what a lot of trouble. <laughs> yeah. But wait a minute. Can we talk about the atomic cannon? Right. There's, <laughs> there's a way you can meet King Harold without like blowing up things with an atomic cannon, my dude. Especially back then. <laughs> well, not if you want to meet him after the Battle of Hastings. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> Melty King Harold. It's crazy to me because we're near the end of the third episode and I still don't know anything about this guy. <laughs> that, I think, is one of the problems. I mean, it's it's one of the things that was really good about this series. We're leading to a big reveal at, at the end you of this episode. Lead a, I, I said when we were watching this that nothing is going to happen until episode four, and then everything is going to happen. <laughs> yeah, you called it. I mean, like, that's just the theme, isn't it? Like, it's just like, yeah. oh, my God, we're oh, another jungle. That's, that's a typical Doctor Who type thing. Yes. But this this to do list is my one of my favorite things. I've there's not been a lot of joy in the last couple of weeks, but this to do list made me so happy. <laughs> right, especially how large it was. You know, it's just like is that on his like refrigerators? <laughs> it just it just made me think of the South Park episode with the underpant gnomes, yeah. where like they're not sure about the steps in the middle, but I'm pretty sure it's all gonna work out. Right, right. <laughs> Well, oh he, he definitely had a step in the middle. Atomic cannons. That was at the beginning. The 
middle is just like a huge history changing, like a civilization creating battle. But that's not even like, no, but meeting King Harold, that's really. Listen, if you've got an atomic cannon, you can do a whole lot. Yeah, I bet you King Harold would really want to talk to you once he found out what it was. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. I have a windshield, sir. 73, right in the middle of your spinal cord. So while the monk is going over his plan, there's another knock on his door because people just won't leave him alone. You go to a monastery because you want some solitude. You're trying to do your social distancing (laughs) thing. And these people just won't leave you alone. They've all got the plague. People just yeah, keep right. knocking down your door while you're trying to get your swerve on with history. It's just... It's well, I'm, tr- I'm trying to set up my atomic cannon. Do right. you mind? <laughs> it's on the list. I'm planning my romantic evening with, with King, King Harold. Harold. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> on like the reverse side of the list, it's just like, you know, he's like written his name, <laughs> but like next to King Harold's name, it's like Monk Harold. Harold Giant loves hearts. Monk. <laughs> I want Senpai to notice me. Right. I do enjoy that this is the battle of wits and the doctor's opening salvo is the like knock and run off the porch. <laughs> <laughs> Gag yeah. that I did when I was like 10. He's just doing ding dong ditch on a yeah. Yeah. He'd be so surprised when it's poop. <laughs> That's what I thought. Like, There's a flaming bag of poop down there. Don't fall for it, monk. Yep, but instead of a flaming bag of poop, it's the old stick to the back, except the doctor claims it's a Winchester 73. Okay, but that was great. But it that was, was pretty great. Because the monk also knows what that is, right? Yes. Yeah. So he doesn't. And he knows that he knows. He knows he, that he knows. And that he, he knows, knows yes, that they're they, in love they both know. With King Harold. I also enjoy how like it's still effective though. Like even when he sees it's a stick, the doctor's like, <laughs> like oh, I'm still stick. gonna beat you with it. And he's like, Oh yeah, yeah. you know, fair point. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, apparently there was a lot of ad libbing going on between William Hartnell and Peter Butterworth in these last two episodes. They apparently worked very well together and got along famously. So well, it seemed like they were having a blast. It's better. It was better for it. Like, they, they worked. Their chemistry was great. I really liked it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought so, too. Tide. Stephen, the tide's coming. That's what it usually does. Yes, but the TARDIS was down there. Oh, no, the tide. Nobody thought of that. Well, it's a bit late to think of it now. Yes, but what shall we do? Look, if the doctor came back here, he'd have moved it. He wouldn't have left it on the beach. The only way the doctor could move the TARDIS would be to dematerialize. So? If the doctor left here in the TARDIS, he couldn't get back. Oh, it can't be that. It can't be. After all this, uh, we see Vicky and Stephen who have made it back to the cliff, where Vicky notes that the tide has come in and the TARDIS is gone. <laughs> Well, I mean, Vicky doesn't have anyone besides the doctor anymore. So, you know, this is going to make her a little bit more desperate. I was, I don't know. I was just like, girl, it's the TARDIS. Do you really think that, like, that? I mean, the Daleks couldn't destroy it, I know. You could, I don't know. This, again, I was just kind of like. Get that sucker with the atomic cannon. The emotion behind this was real and that it would be really upsetting. But also, girl, you it's a freaking time machine. Do you really think that he would just leave it somewhere? Oh, the tide. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> but yeah, she is really upset and gets even more upset when Stephen suggests maybe the doctor moved it because she knows that if he moved it, he wouldn't be able to get back. Oh, Stephen, you know nothing. Yeah. But Stephen just suggests that she stops moping and that they go back to the <sighs> monastery and do something practical. Stephen, this is not the way to talk to a lady when she's upset, Stephen. Yeah. But all this is immediately dropped because that's when he finds the atomic cannon. Yeah! <laughs> right next to them. <laughs> right next to them, atomic cannon. It did kind of look like a World War One or yeah, two. Yeah, well, I'm sure that's what they used. It almost like um, what do you call it? Don't look at me. Um, a mortar. I mean, that's probably what it the was prop based was. On? Yeah. yeah, I don't think that they built some an original atomic cannon for this episode. <laughs> it was a convincing <laughs> atomic cannon. Okay. <laughs> I think that they'd probably make plenty of money if they built an actual atomic cannon. Right. Why am I working in television? <laughs> Why am I the BBC? <laughs> so they start heading back to the hole that they came out of earlier. All right, that will do. You know, I believe we've come through this corridor twice already. It's no use you playing for time, you know. I want some answers. <laughs> At the monastery, this is where the monk is leading the doctor around in circles. I'm fairly certain we've been through this corridor twice. Like, well, yeah, you only have the one corridor. Yeah. I don't know. I thought that was a funny meta joke. I enjoyed it. It was. When the doctor points this out, the monk tries to make a move, but is immediately stopped by the doctor who threatens to just beat him with his stick. <laughs> <laughs> then there is yet, yet another knock on the door. Doctor says that we'll both go and I'll do the opening of the door. But the monk points out that he's wearing the wrong clothes for this situation. The doctor realizes that the monk either wants to get the help of whoever's outside or he wants to get the doctor in a habit and then convince whoever's there that the doctor's an imposter. <sighs> the doctor goes with option two and puts on the monk's robe. Which I think William Hartnell looks hilarious. In he that looks great. I, yeah, I liked him with his little hood. <laughs> he looked really good. I thought he looked good. And so did the monk. Yeah. This is really a love story. Do you think that... Two star-crossed Do you think oh, that God, the no. doctor could lure the monk away from King Harold? This fanfic <laughs> just writes itself, you guys. <laughs> if you don't think that there is first doctor and meddling monk fanfic out there, you are as smart as Steven. <laughs> because I 100% guarantee you someone has Oh, there almost, there, there certainly is, I'm sure. Yeah. I could actually name three or four people who probably have written such things. Anyway, <laughs> Is one of them named Sean? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> I do not write fan fiction. You I write it? real work. No. <laughs> <laughs> and then Mr. Spock comes in, and then they all... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, dear man, you had me quite worried. I thought you were never coming in. <laughs> the doctor opens the door and ends up at the wrong end of Sven's sword. But the Vikings put him right back into the cell he escaped from before, so we know everything's going to be okay. <laughs> I know, I was thinking about that. Like, well, okay. No worries. Sven is left to guard the door while Ulf goes to find the rest of the monks. While Ulf looks around, the monk just bops him on the head and knocks him out. So 
meddling monk's fine. Meanwhile, Sven looks in the cell and sees that nobody's there. He goes in. This time, the doctor is hiding behind the door and knocks him out with a wonderful quip. You had me worried. I thought you were never coming in. Well, he really clocks him. He hit that guy for real. There's no way that William Hartnell messes around with stage combat. I love how all of us notice that. Like, he, like, even if that was Balsawood, that stung a little. (laughs) (laughs) I did love his little line. I thought you were never coming in. It was very cute. I also liked how old school that was. Very, like, OSS. Not, like, not necessarily, like, modern Doctor Who, but it's more just, mostly just very to the point like lure the guy in the cell hit the guy with a stick he falls over unconscious done you know like well great i'm i'm not familiar with the new series and and stuff like that but there's a lot more finesse that's all i'm saying there were there were there were a few places in this serial where you were saying hartnell really felt like the doctor you know yeah when we watched the what was it the key emeritus Mm-hmm. I was just, I, it was my first experience with the classic Who, and he was just not what I had expected. But in this episode, it felt like the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is one of those episodes that definitely, you, you could see the influences on modern Who in this one. Oh, for sure. While that is going on with Sven and the Doctor, the monk has teleported over to Woolnut's <laughs> house. I mean, he might have, though. There he asks Woolnut for help. He wants the villagers to prepare some beacon fires on the hilltops, explaining that he's expecting some building materials to come by sea in the next few days. Wolnoth agrees and the monk leaves. Oh, it's so satisfying to scratch something off your to-do list, isn't it? Then Wolnoth gets to thinking and asks Edith what the old man had said about a Viking invasion. Good on you, Wolnoth, for thinking and listening to your wife. (laughs) <laughs> Stephen and Vicky have made it back through the tunnel where they find a passed out Sven meanwhile the monk has managed to teleport back and is now taunting the tied up Ulf he tells Ulf that he's arranged some fires for your friends and then he finds himself with a sword to his neck it's the doctor it's a TARDIS the monk's got a TARDIS. Meanwhile, Vicky and Stephen find a cable on a floor. They follow the cable to a door that's in the monk's altar, and they go in. It's so good. As they enter, we hear a familiar buzzing sound. It's a TARDIS. The monk's got a TARDIS. This was so rad. This was yeah. very And I know you're going to have to beat that out, but there is no other response. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> that was so, I was so like, I think that's probably the first time where I've been just like, you know, it was like so, yeah. <laughs> I was so was happy so with that. This is one of the, probably the best remembered Hartnell era cliffhanger, other than possibly the Dalek rising from the Thames. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, definitely on that level. Like, I was, I like made, I did a little thing where you make like a bunch of tiny little claps. <laughs> so happy. It was so good. So that's it. You're a time meddler. No wonder you wanted to get rid of me. And what are you trying to get up to this time? Hmm? I'm sure you'll approve, Doctor. Are you quite mad? You know as well as I do the golden rule about space and time traveling. Never, never interfere with the course of history. And who says so? Doctor, it's more fun my way. Then we get to episode four, 
checkmate. Through the doctor's questioning of the monk, we learn that he plans to use the fires to signal the Viking fleet. Then they'll think it's a place to land, they'll come in, and he'll destroy them with his atomic cannons. I cannot stress atomic cannons enough. But we still don't know why. I just, like, why? <laughs> it's, it's pretty overkill. <laughs> Vicky and Steven are looking around the monk's TARDIS, where he has a museum's worth of stuff. Statues, I was really hoping weapons. that statue would be a real person who would start moving <laughs> and freak everyone out. <laughs> this reminded me of that scene in uh, the first Highlander, right? Where like you you see him in his little like room of repose kind of reflecting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. He's an immortal. I did think the treasure trove was really cool, though. Just a smattering of things from every era. Oh, but how convenient that he left his diary here with all of his yes. remembrances of famous people. Let me just read this. Vicky's so nosy. I love, yeah. that's why I love Vicky. <laughs> I'm going to read this diary. <laughs> What's this guy doing here? He shouldn't be here. I'm going to go through all of his things. Yeah. Yes, Vicky, yes. <laughs> Met Da Vinci, discussed powered flight, put 200 pounds in the bank, went forward 200 years to get interest. Well- this is also where you really learn that this dude has zero scruples. Yes. <laughs> but you also learn that he's not exactly like, I don't know, it's a big, le- like, my dastardly plan to put 200 pounds and collect the yeah. compound interest to destroying the entire fleet with an atomic cannon. <laughs> like, the stakes have gone up considerably for this fellow. Do you think that he bought that atomic cannon? Because he did not. Maybe he used the interest from the 200 pounds. Yeah. Uh, that's a stolen cannon. Well, he did go from 1968 forward 200 years. And traded a Ming vase for it, probably. <laughs> We get a nice cut to the doctor where he says, So that's it. You're a time meddler. You know the golden rule. Never, never interfere with the course of history. Oh, I thought you were speaking as yourself. And it's like, you know the golden (laughs) rule. When he says time meddler, take a drink. (laughs) I I loved all of this because I didn't know that they hadn't yet established like what race the doctor, or I guess race is correct, where, where the planet he's from or the kind of history of where he's from. I'm trying not to say anything to really It's all bad. very loose. Yeah. But uh, this was just very clearly a hint at some kind of uh, system that was in place for time travel mm-hmm. and references to where the doctor was from. And I loved that. And of course, going back to our theme of Dennis Spooner, here he's making it clear that this is a rule and not a law of nature. So you can break the rule. Well, but exactly. it flies in the face of what the doctor has told other characters in the past. So yeah. he was trying to steer them. No, but it makes it it's really good because it is so ingrained in him as this moral code that he doesn't even describe it as a, to him, it's like the prime directive. You never break this. So to him, you wouldn't even consider breaking it. So it's actually, it's really good the way that they Mm -hmm. did this, I think. Now he does unintentionally break the rules, but I I think the intention part is, is really key here. Mm -hmm. The monk points out 
that life is a lot more fun his way. (laughs) He talks about how he can make things happen ahead of their time, like how he helped build Stonehenge with his anti-grav lift. (laughs) The monk's master plan is to change the whole course of history in one swoop. The way that things are now, William won at Hastings because Harold had to march and fight the Vikings. By taking care of the Vikings first... Harold will have a fresh army, so he'll be able to kick William right back to Normandy. The doctor chuckles a bit and says he'll prevent this disgusting exhibition. I'm, I'm not saying that the British aren't really important in world history. I am saying that it's pretty Anglo-centric to say that this change would change the whole course of history in one swoop. Western history, but it probably would. Western history. It definitely would change lots and lots of European history and a lot of world history, too, considering colonization. Yeah. And considering how they'd have jets in the 1300s or whatever, right? Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) Let me ask you guys a question. So we do finally find out what the monk's endgame is. And it's but I, the motivation is only explained as things are so much more fun. And so my <laughs> question is, do you think that it works to have your antagonist motivation just be, it's fun, I like to create chaos? Because in a lot of stories, that does not work. No. It, well, I don't, I mean, I don't think it does. And I think, I think in a lot of ways, though, well, Sean, I think you should say what you wanted to say first, and then I have, I have some reflections. I was going to say that a little bit later, he does say that, you know, he feels like Harold would be a good king and that by making this change, it'll stop a lot of the future European wars since England wouldn't have claims in France and things would just be a lot better if, you know, the Norman invasion failed. From his perspective, what he's doing is going to help the world. Saving lives So it's lives not really for Europe. no reason. Right. Yeah, I thought it was interesting because, like, I mean, like, there are uh, antagonists later who are more different. Oh, shoot, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I love, everyone's trying so hard not to spoil Bay. <laughs> like, I'm just saying, like, there there comes a time when there is a, a more interesting kind of antagonist character. I think the the monk is very interesting i mean this is I've, I've certainly heard the name kind of mentioned you know what i mean like while i've only ever really seen modern who i've i've always been you know kind of interested in the mythology and whatnot and i've, I've certainly mm-hmm. looked up like ooh, who, who are the time lords that have appeared in this series and then you kind of look at them you're like kind of like oh okay i guess but like this this one is the first right and yeah i i like how he's it's kind of hard to pin him down right like he's not precisely an antagonist i mean the whole atomic cannon like mass murder thing like (laughs) we do kind of gloss that over but he's not yeah but they're just vikings right come on i mean and he doesn't do it chaotic neutral like he seems to have good intentions or at least like chaotic intentions i think that from a from a basic story perspective it is often unsuccessful if you have the motivation of your villain be just it's fun to sow chaos or just chaos. But I do think 
that Peter Butterworth is really good. <laughs> and so even when we hit that, this part, and he's like, but it's so fun to change history and I'll change so much history. In your head, I'm in my head, I'm kind of like, this is not like a great character motivation. But then he's just so good he's and so kind of delightful good. to watch. Yeah. He sells it very well. He does yeah. sell it. And it's really hard to play a character who doesn't have like kind of a right. defined goal. Mm. Uh, so I think he saves it for a lot of this classic who, for me, the performances really save what's going on. Mm. And I don't get bogged down in kind of the cheap sets and I don't get bogged down in what could be iffy writing because everyone is just really good. Yeah. I, I just like to imagine like kind of what happened. Like you know, the director's like, okay, and it's like, all right, so I'm an actor. I'm serious. What's my motivation? Like, who who am I? Who is the monk? And the director's like, well, you just time and you like it. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> uh, like, no problem. And then, you know, he just does his thing. And it's just amazing, you know? And for, th- for three episodes, I'm going, but like, why? Why is why well, are you in this monastery? Why are you doing all this? Because he wants to. Why do you have to. a toaster? Because he's yeah, so cool. Yeah, and then it's just because, well, it's fun yeah (laughs) some of it just seems like for its own sake like it's cool to do cool stuff uh or to be responsible for things happening before they're supposed to some of it just seems to be like ego right yeah can you imagine like you go to the future and realize that you set things in motion so they're more advanced or you kill thousands of guys because it's entertaining Ooh. uh but i mean you guys know hartnell's doctor much better than i do so you could would you say that the monk is is kind of his complete opposite where he just messes with time because it's fun and why not like we have this power let's just do it and do what we want but the doctor is kind of the complete opposite side of that coin so maybe they're setting him there they're supposed to be this dichotomy at this point Mm. i think that's true like i mean so Mm -hmm. like reflecting on my my modern knowledge of who i would have said you know like clearly uh <laughs> is a better like antagonist than you know like the <laughs> but then i rethought it and i'm like at this point no actually this is exactly the kind of you know he doesn't have to be evil yeah. he just has to be irresponsible and we yeah. also know so little about where the doctor is from and his past and that kind of thing we know so little of it because they probably haven't thought of it yet yeah. but yeah. <laughs> when you when you have a character who's just like i do it cuz it's fun you don't have to worry about well why is this guy so different than the doctor why does he have a completely different philosophy why is he just the complete opposite and if you just make it because it's i want to have fun you've taken care of a lot of you don't have to answer those questions it's it's really hard because like this really is the first person from his planet besides yeah it's really exciting so we only know the doctor and susan and this fool yeah (laughs) i I want to improve things. Improve things? <laughs> improve things? Yes, that's good. <laughs> Very good. Improve what, for instance? Well, for instance, Harold. King Harold. I know he'd be a good king. There wouldn't be all those wars in Europe. Those, those claims over France went on for years and years. With peace, the people would be able to better themselves. <laughs> With a few hints and tips from me, They'd be able to have jet airliners by 1320. Shakespeare would be able to put Hamlet on television. Do you what? While this is going on... We go back to the plot nobody cares about. <laughs> <laughs> so meanwhile, 
uh, Sven frees the tied-up Ulf, but they're seen by Eldred, who flees the monastery. The monk takes the doctor to his TARDIS, where Stephen and Vicky are looking over the monk's to-do list and wondering why. Right? But why? (laughs) Yes. What's this little table with two glasses of wine and a rose set up for? (laughs) (laughs) Meet King Harold. Give him a single red rose. This is the bat. Oh my God. The meddling monk is just playing the bachelor with historical figures. (laughs) The doctor wanders in at this point and says, that's a good point. And Vicky attack hugs him. (laughs) It was sweet. So the doctor identifies the monk's TARDIS as a Mark IV machine, meaning that it's about 50 years in the doctor's future. I I really did like this, though, because we don't know a whole lot about the TARDIS. We know a few things like it's got a fluid link. It's got... What is it? The um, error? Yeah, the fault locator. Fault locator. That's this is also good you when know. he's like, oh, it's a Mark IV. He's like, mind your own business. Uh, like, yeah. what kind, well, what type <laughs> do you cute. have? Mind your own business. <laughs> yeah. but, but it's clearly more advanced than what he's got, right? Yeah. Yes. It has functioning circuits. Yeah, right? Almost any TARDIS is like more advanced than yeah. what the doctor has. No, and, and yeah. the camouflage unit actually works. Right. I'm sorry, what's the camouflage? What do you, I think you mean chameleon. Yeah, I'm just saying what he said. <laughs> oh, sweet modern fans. You're in uncharted territory now, just like I the know. writers. <laughs> there was a shocking lack of uh, rubber monster suits in this serial. So, yeah, they talk to the monk a bit where, you know, he does his whole thing about making things better. And then he's going to give the English jets by the 1300s. Shakespeare will be on TV. I don't believe this for a second. He is just this is not. So when we talked about he talked about his two motivations. I do not believe that he's doing any of this because he thinks it will improve. (laughs) British people's lives in the future. He is totally just, but uh, it'll be great and Harold will win Listen, and we'll have jets in the I 1300s. Want, I just want Vikings and F 16. Right. Can we get <laughs> Vikings and F 16? No, because they're all dead because I killed them with my atomic cannon. Oh, no. Yes. And as the monk is just calling him irresponsible, the monk runs right out of there. <laughs> yeah, this is the running around part of the episode. Yeah. Back at the village, Wolnoth has gathered the villagers to warn of the invasion and tells them that he thinks that the monk might be behind it. Eldred appears and says, there's a bunch of Vikings hiding at the monastery. So the villagers arm themselves and prepare to attack. That's all villagers are really good for at the end of the day. Rabble rousing. It's true. Meanwhile... When the monk had run out of the TARDIS, he ran right into the Vikings. But he somehow managed to convince these Vikings, despite having tied one of them up, that he's actually with them and these other people are your enemies. I mean, I don't know much about history, but I do know that William the Conqueror did win the Battle of Hastings. Till now he did. If the monk changes it, I suppose our memories will change as well. What about the history books? That's all right. They're not written yet. They'll just write and print the new version. But that means that the exact minute, the exact second that he does it, every history book, every, well, the whole future of every year and time on Earth will change just like that, and nobody will know that it has. I suppose that's what I'm trying to say. It's more than his time travelling than me to the eye. 
Stephen, the doctor, and Vicky are now tied up, and they have a bit of an exchange. Stephen's wondering, you know, how is it possible for the monk to change things? Can he do that? I know that William won at Hastings. And Vicky says, well, I guess till now he did. If the monk changes it, maybe our memories will change as well. But this is all speculative. I kind of wish the doctor had chimed in here. It would have been nice to know what the show's um, rules are for something like this. Yeah, but I think that's also a bit of, eh, let's kick that can down the road a bit. We'll figure it out later. (laughs) We'll make it someone else's problem. Yeah. Well, yeah, you'd be writing someone into a corner, I guess. This was an interesting way to go, though, with the, well, our memories would just change and we'd have no idea, rather than the kind of, you know, back to the future, we'd all fade out of existence because we would never have been born kind of thing. Oh, gosh, Mm. I hadn't even thought about that. Oh, really? That's exact. I always think about back to the future. (laughs) (laughs) I just like the solution of, oh, God, what was that movie? It was a crappy movie. I don't remember. But they called them time quakes. Was it Endgame? No, you remember? It was like... Was it Millennium? Is that what it was called? It was a really crappy Possibly. like sci-fi movie. And um, I remember like in that every time somebody changed the past, there would be like a time quake and, a, you know, then oh. like, uh, yeah, no, it sucked. But like, I, you know, <laughs> I just like, I liked, I did like how they kind of approach it in this episode where it's like, yeah, we just kind of forget. And like, I found that honestly kind of deeply unsettling more than like almost any other description of time paradoxes because it's deeply unsettling in that way of like you know considering memory loss conditions and right like right where mm. it's like you it's like it's almost like you've died right because everything that you knew and everything that you remember and everything that made you you has now fundamentally changed right but yet Mm. there's a continuity of consciousness and like you know just the notion of something being gone so thoroughly okay but steven has to be dumb again and then she's like well our memories would change and he goes, but what about the history books? Like, well, Stephen, I'm pretty sure if nobody, if this is how it changes, don't you think that the history books would also tell oh, Listen, Stephen is already guy. pretty familiar with memory loss. I can't <laughs> He's like a goldfish. Everything's a surprise. There must be more to this time traveling than meets the eye. I can't <laughs> Thank you. So deep. Oh, my God, Stephen. Okay. And the, meanwhile, the doctor is just kind of like looking forlorn over in the corner. Yeah. And he's just like, this monk won't listen to reason. He must be stopped. The monk, meanwhile, is having the Vikings carry a box of charms to guide the ships, which are really ammo for the cannons. <laughs> They're pretty dumb. The, like, they at least have bow and arrow and, and that sort of thing. It's 1066. Yeah, but still, it's... These people probably only live to be... It doesn't even even make it to, you know, 40? I mean, come on. Sven's like nine. We're (laughs) talking... I mean, honestly, I feel like people back then... This charm is really heavy and made out of a metal I've never seen before. (laughs) Yeah, they would... If you came from the church, if you propped yourself up as a church leader, they would certainly believe you. Now, not me. They would burn me as a witch 100%. As soon as my feet hit that shore. (laughs) But I do like how the monk says, believe me, your ships will know they're there. (laughs) Yeah, that was good. (laughs) And as the Vikings carry the box out the door, the villagers are waiting and we get our long-awaited Scooby-Doo Benny Hill routine. It's just ridiculous. My favorite part is he looks out the door thinking that they've all come in and then five more come in. (laughs) (laughs) 
And after everybody's in, the monk just rushes out and everyone follows. That does seem like a very on-theme kind of villain move for him. Like, he just kind of runs away when things get too weird (laughs) for him to handle. He just runs away. He's like, well, I'm not going to hang out here. Bye. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, that's absolutely... I mean, isn't that what you would have done, too? Like, there is, like, an interfaction blood war going on in your hallways, and the, the most appropriate response is like, nope. (laughs) you guys seem like you got this handled (laughs) peace out but also steven is like the only one of these four though that is not a cartoon character like the doctor and vicky and this monk well we've already talked about how the doctor and vicky are kind of tom and jerry (laughs) in a lot of these other episodes not not this particular serial but How is Steven not? Since to me, he is the most like a cartoon character. Physically, no. <laughs> what do you uh, mean? <laughs> she, Vicky does with her little pigtail, she could be like a little anime character, I guess. I don't know. She's the only one who knows what's going on. So I'm on team Vicky. As all this Scooby-Doo stuff is going on, Edith is inside doing something useful where she <laughs> frees the doctor and the others. I mean, I guess... It's not too useful that she freed Steven because Steven <laughs> is an idiot, but... <laughs> Just leave him tied up. <laughs> <laughs> but she frees him anyway. Uh, she decided to do a search for him since without the doctor's help, they never would have known that the monk was a Viking spy. Edith invites them back to the village, but the doctor says he has some things he needs to take care of here first. He asks Vicky and Steven for some paper and a pencil, because he has a letter that he wants to write to the monk. Sucks to be you. (laughs) (laughs) Inside the monk's TARDIS, we see the doctor pulling out part of his console. I like during this where the doctor tells Vicky to keep her nose away or you'll get a shock, and her response is to stay exactly where she is just to cover her nose. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It was cute. This was a long scene, but it was cute. Well... You were like, is he about to hotwire that thing? I think he was hotwiring the TARDIS. If anybody could do it, it would be him. He sends them all outside, finishes up whatever he's doing there, which is basically, you know, pulling a piece out. And afterwards, they all head back to the TARDIS. Well, you were saying that this is really what reminded you of modern Who. Yeah, it did. That, That like you could swap him out with one of the modern doctors and it wouldn't really change that much? No, 100%. Any mm. one of the modern doctors, I think, would do this stuff at the end. I don't know. Yeah. I just like seeing the doctor tinker with the TARDIS, too. I think it's fun. Yeah, this is definitely... I could agree with you. I could definitely see the modern doctor doing this exact thing to solve a problem. Just, yeah. you know, pull out a piece and run. It's fun to see them creating the foundational aspects of the Doctor's character and even the series as a whole through these early episodes. Yeah. So back in the woods, the monk suggests to the Vikings that they hide in an old well over there. And when the Vikings go there, the monk runs off. There's no well, and the Vikings run right back into the villagers and are surrounded and poked with sticks. I mean, and nobody missed Poked them. with sticks, but they were really just... They're dinged. Julius yeah. Caesared. Double ding. There's apparently 12 seconds of footage missing of a scene with the Vikings just being run through by the Saxons that was oh, by censors. That's what I want to see! <laughs> Is it though? <laughs> Yeah. Like, I mean, that's when it really gets non-hooey, right? Like, 
I guess. I'll, I mean, Doctor Who to me has always had a huge body count. I just always assume everyone in an episode <laughs> will die. <laughs> yeah, but it's you know, they, they always do it in that like kind of clean way, you know, where they're just like people don't get just like I don't know, brutally gored, sticked. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your point your point is well made. Really? No, I didn't think it was well made. <laughs> well made, be not well phrased. <laughs> your point is well taken. <laughs> Thank you. Back at the cliffs, where incidentally, Vicky seems to have absolutely no problem with the concept of going down them right now. Oh, as opposed to last serial, yeah. <laughs> where she was a huddled mess crying when she had to climb down something, yes. The doctor notes that the Viking fleet will be here shortly and history will be allowed to take its natural course. And Stephen is saying he's beginning to like this whole time travel thing. Uh. Back at the monastery, the monk decides that he better get going. Wait, wait, wait. Let, let, me, ask, let me ask a question. Sorry. Yes. I just realized... So why didn't he get to do his plan? Because the villagers showed up, so he wasn't able to take the ammo to the gun. Is that what happened? <laughs> we're about to see. No, we're not. <laughs> no, not really. And that is a very <laughs> good question. So yeah, why didn't he just blow up the fleet? The doctor didn't disable anything with the gun. Exactly. Huh. That part doesn't really seem to have been resolved. Oh, oops. What is keeping the monk from actually going through with the rest of his plan? But, um, yeah. Because he just goes back to the monastery after the- Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, you know. Sometimes you just kind of forget to resolve your main plot. But he has to meet Harold! How's he going to meet Harold? <laughs> he lost the plot. Yeah. Oh, no. He's going to have to write some moody stuff in his diary about this. <laughs> but the diary is inside the TARDIS, as, as we'll find out. I'm sorry. He can't get in. On his notepad now. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that is a postage stamp. Did they have paper in 1066? Uh, well, the doctor had to write on something. Oh, no, he got it from the TARDIS, though. He, if he I told... recall correctly, at this point, paper probably would have been made out of used underwear. So, yeah, <laughs> they did. It was just really disgusting. Gross. That's nasty. Okay, so we're back in the monastery. He's going to the TARDIS. <laughs> we know that the doctor did. So I was very had a lot of anticipation in this scene because I knew the doctor had done something. So we are about to find out what terrible thing. We see the doctor's wonderful note. My dear fellow, <laughs> I'm sure you will excuse me, but I didn't want to say goodbye as you are obviously going to be very busy for some time. He's right there. Just in case you still have ideas about your master plan, I have taken precautions to stop your time meddling. <laughs> How could he stop a mark for? <laughs> Possibly one day in the future, when you've learnt your lesson, I shall return and release you. The monk looks in his TARDIS and sees that now the inside is the same size, size as the outside, or actually kind of smaller, because he can't get in there. So the doctor good. removed the dimensional controls, and the TARDIS is now completely useless. The monk can't get in. He's marooned in 1066. 
which seems to be a really bad place to strand a time meddler. Right. Now, when uh, we had been inside with the time meddling monk, mm-hmm. I I thought that maybe he was going to remove that one component that he, I think he said it was bridge control, where they could like sit in the middle of time and space without oh, wasn't moving. Wasn't that the gravitational stabilizers? I don't know. Something they they like were that. name checking a lot of things. And so yeah. I assumed he'd removed one of those. Uh, yeah. Well, because they'd name checked it, right? This was, this this was, was some, very this cool. This was some Twilight Zone. That's some catty. Ending. Yeah. But that also felt very much like the doctor. The doctor does this kind of dark stuff a lot. (laughs) And so I really liked it. Yeah. So let's just assume that everything that makes the atomic cannon work somehow found its way back inside the TARDIS. And everything's fine. Now he's just got a really tiny atomic cannon. Yes. (laughs) Oh, Oh, that tickles. <laughs> it just makes little pinholes in all the like walls of the monastery. He just wiles his time away in exile by <laughs> like launching tiny little missiles. He John wiles his time away. Do you think that the meddling, if he just like stuck his hand in there. That's what I was thinking And too. got it to yeah. work. Would it still take his whole body with it? Or do you, <laughs> what? These are important questions. Will his hand just travel through time and space I, like thing from the Adam's yeah, family? I was, I was I also thinking, that. what if he could crawl into the sarcophagus right. and like just completely curl his whole body around? Right, just twiddle it with his thumbs or something. Like that's what I was thinking. Like just take it back to the future. Get, you know, stop by the shop and be like, oh, some wascally wabbit ran off with my dimensional controller and, you know, the the time auto parts store. Oh, yeah. The I'm pep boys lo- for the pep time boys. wild and I'm loving where it's going. Yeah. <laughs> and then they're just like, yeah, sure, you know, that happens all the time, you know, and then they give it. Oh, the, the, di- the, di- the dimensional drive? Oh, God, that's gonna that's not going to be Well, and he has to take it like a few different places because they keep highballing him. And he's like, if my husband, <laughs> if, if, if King Harold was here, you wouldn't say this to me, you know, like. <laughs> they're like, well, we don't have it in stock. It's going to take at least three weeks to get here. And you're like, you run a time machine repair shop and you can't go get the part I need? Sorry, I'm sorry. We should definitely cut some of that. Whatever, that was gold. (laughs) I like dimensional pet boys. Get into the zone. The time zone. (laughs) What's he done? Taking my dimensional control. He's ruined my time machine. I, I'm marooned. Marooned. Ten sixty-six. Oh, doctor. 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 The last we see of the monk. He is con-screaming the doctor's name. I mean, that's what I would do. That seems like a very natural reaction Absolutely. to be stranded in 1066. Yep. Sh- Shawnee, can you tell us anything about the effect? Because I thought the effect here was very good. Oh, with his face looking in the... Uh... Yeah, we, we get the interior of the, the alternate TARDIS. And the monk's face there in the doorway, I didn't know if it was like another projection or... Maybe a shoebox. That's what I would assume. 
I didn't see exactly what it was, but I would assume they did that same sort of back projection thing that they've done before. It just looked, if they did that, they looked a lot better. So they might have just made a model, but I'm not sure. I just thought they did it like I did my sixth grade dioramas where I just built it in a shoebox and then you just like hold your face up to it. It's very possible. But it looked pretty good. Yeah. I mean, you instantly knew what was going on. It came, the message came across to the audience exactly what had happened. I mean, yeah. this this reveal feels as good as the reveal at the end of episode three. Mm. The last minutes of these episodes were fantastic. Really good stuff. I mean, all of our cliffhangers were pretty good, actually. Maybe the second one was definitely the weakest. <gasps> Where's the doctor? It's just a pile yeah. of furs. But for the most part, this one has some very strong cliffhangers. Yeah, I just I feel like you could have made two really tight episodes if they'd cut some of the just wandering around. But that's true of any Doctor Who, isn't mm-hmm. it? And yeah, our last shot is of the TARDIS vanishing. And then we see our crew members faces among the stars as the theme music plays. That was cool. Is that it's- a new thing? Is that a new normal? Because it was a little odd. I wasn't expecting it. Well, remember they did something similar to this at the end of season one. And so they just kept up with it for this because this is the end of season two. Oh, this is a really good season ender. Well, also, it feels very nice and self-contained. If you hadn't seen any Doctor Who besides this episode, it reestablishes what the deal is with the TARDIS. It gives you a lot of background about the characters. I mean, really, the only person that you don't get a lot of background about is Steven. And who cares about that guy? That's not (laughs) what I was going to say. You don't really need it for him. Hmm. You know, it's it's a pretty well-contained story that you don't need a lot of context for. So, yeah, we are turning to our discussion wrap up now. Let's get our reactions. Thumbs up, thumbs down or meh. And we'll start with Bay. Bay, what's your reaction? So for a lot of this serial, I didn't know what was going on or where it was going. I didn't know very much about the Battle of Hastings, which also was a little bit frustrating for not being on the same wavelength as your average viewer. So for a lot of it, it was going to be a meh. But I just thought the end of episode three and episode four of this serial just brought it to another level. And when we finally get the reveal about who the time meddler is and what his deal is, that he's another alien like the doctor, I just thought that was too interesting to give this a man. I have to give it a thumbs up. Mm-hmm. Maggie, what about you? Definitely thumbs up. There was just some pacing. I would have tightened it up if it had been mm-hmm. me, you know, but overall, definitely thumbs up. So much good, just classic doctor stuff happening. So much hinting at greater context for his character. I really, and Vicky was rad. I really liked it. Oh, and I also wanted to say- Excuse me, this is my turn to talk. No, no. (laughs) We we ragged on Steven a lot, but I was sad that Steven was not going to be with us after the last serial. And I actually am glad to have him here. I think it would have been a little bit too lean- with only Vicky and the Doctor. There needs to be somebody else to bounce off of. Um, and I I like Purvis. I think he's good. Maggie, do you have any more to add after Bay rudely interrupted you? Dang. <laughs> 
I think Steven is useless. Oh, dang. <laughs> no, I see. I totally get what Bay is saying. I don't disagree. If you want to have the um, companions run off and have a subplot, you probably need more than one. I feel like they just purposefully made him so skeptical as so that they would have to explain things to him. But yeah. it just comes across as him looking dumb. <laughs> But we'll see. I mean, I could see him. And now that he's on board with the time travel and stuff, he's he could be great. Andy, what about you? Well, I mean, it is the way of the true Doctor Who fan to hate new companions at first. Like, I mean, that's just, <laughs> yeah. that's just how it's done. You're like, who is this? Get out, right? Like, what did who you do with Rose? Right? <laughs> and like, so I... I I'm more measured in my response. I am I am on the fence about Steven. But it, overall, I mean, it's a solid thumbs up for me. Come on. Like, even, like, yeah. the story was, like, you know, kind of, but, like, it doesn't matter, <laughs> right? It doesn't matter. It's so good. <laughs> it, like, the performances are great. Um, I don't care that his motivation for mucking about with time makes no sense. I don't care that, like, he you know, has got an atomic cannon to kill Vikings with. I don't care that the Vikings are really stupid and the villagers are weird and they've got crazy eyes. I don't care about <laughs> any of that stuff because it was just so fun and awesome and thumbs up. And, and oh, you know, come on, the monk. Like, the yeah. first time we He's see great. somebody who's like a proper equal and even, you know, superior, as the doctor reluctantly admits in some ways to himself, uh, thumbs up, man. Excellent points. And as for me, well, the previous two Dennis Spooner stories have been two of my least favorite Doctor Who stories so far. So it should come as no surprise to anybody that this is a strong contender for my favorite William Hartnell story. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I changed my mind. I hated it. <laughs> wow. No, <I'm> kidding. <laughs> I absolutely love this story. I've probably watched this one more than any other Hartnell story. Oh, wow. So, yeah, this is an absolute favorite of mine. I love the comedic moments, especially the space helmet for a cow bit and the monk. Vicky is great as always. Yeah. And Hartnell's doing a great job. He's yeah. having a lot of fun in this one, you can tell. Everybody's firing on all cylinders. Yeah. It's great. Except for Sven. They better bring that, <laughs> that monk back, that's all I'm saying. I really hope they do. I didn't read the Tardipedia on him deliberately because I don't want to know. I did. Okay, so I don't want to know. If <laughs> I'm, like, I'm sure he's got like a very heavy presence in both graphic novels and audio dramas, but who doesn't, right? Like, oh, I just want to see point, him yeah. again in the show, right? <laughs> that's And I'm hoping, fingers crossed, don't you say anything. I want to be surprised. Okay, cool. I won't say anything. It is such a pleasure, though, to see when they get the right actor for the right character and the actors mm -hmm. get along and you can tell everyone it's just really working. Yeah. Like yeah. you said, firing on all cylinders. It was just, oh. Yeah. So good. I just, the, just the end of that third episode. Oh. It's a tortoise. It's so good. <laughs> yes. It's so, so good. good. Oh. So good. <laughs> so the viewing numbers for this story, episode one and two both had about 8.8 .8 8.9 million viewers. It dipped a bit to 7.7 .7 for episode three, but was back up to 8.3 for the final episode. So was that considered numbers. good then? Because now those numbers are incredible because nobody watches yeah. TV anymore. Those those were decent numbers for the show at this period. Okay. Um, it's a little bit down from Dalek numbers, but it was decent. 
Well, everybody loves I the mean, Daleks, right? Yeah. I've, I've also got to point out that this was following a Dalek serial. The first mm-hmm. two were very slow, so it doesn't surprise me that it dipped in number three. But then when everybody mentioned, there's a second TARDIS, yeah. you know, it, it bounced back up. Plus, I mean, this story was coming after a stretch of some fairly weak stories, so... Well, thank you for not inviting me to be on those (laughs) (laughs) podcasts. (laughs) So looking at uh, some of our reactions to this story, well, the modern day polls that we have, the 2008 poll, this shows up at number 75 out of 200. And in the 2013 poll, it's 77 out of 241. Hmm. which are both good for non-Dalek William Hartnell stories. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of the reviews that I found, there's one that calls it an often forgotten gem. Elizabeth Sandifer's take on this is that this is basically the meddling monk invades a Doctor Who story called The Saxons. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And this is what you get when you take your typical Dennis Spooner comedy villain like Nero and you make him somebody who's like the doctor. Oh, he's mm. so much better than Nero. Oh, yeah. Infinitely better. I just now fully accept. I just think of the the meddling monk as the new Murphy's Law, where it's like best laid plans and then something goes. Hit. <laughs> it must be that meddling monk. That monk's on my back again today. <laughs> <laughs> the monk's looking for some loving from Harold. They're just two lonely guys trying to find love in the 11th century. 10th. No, wait. 10th century. (laughs) It does, does it, you know what though? There's like a good 400 period where I don't think it mattered. If anybody out there is listening with like a deviant art or whatever, make that happen. Like, you know, I want (laughs) to see the graphic novel. I want to see him finally get his meeting and like the little heart eyes and, you know. You know, he still could. He's going to be there for a while. There's nothing that says that he's not going to meet up with him. It's just, is he the big spoon though? Or the little spoon? Like that, the only the graphic novel will tell. Oh, he's the little spoon. (laughs) He's the little, look at him, he's so cute. Peter Butterworth, he's not a big spoon. His name's Butterworth. (laughs) Even his name is cute. I know. You know who you should ask? Oh no. Who? Spooner. Oh, Uh, I thought you were going to say Mrs. Butterworth. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Come on, man. (laughs) There are multiple ways I could have (laughs) gone. They were all bad. So some of the positives that people point to with this story, of course, Peter Butterworth is an absolute delight and everybody praises him and his chemistry with William Hartnell. They praise the great directing and William Hartnell giving Stephen the TARDIS tour. (laughs) The negatives, the pacing. Yeah. Yeah. People point to the interest level dropping when the villagers and the Vikings are around. Yes, nobody cares. And some people point to the fact that this kind of suffers a bit from no one's ever done this before syndrome. Like things like too many reveals of modern technology that kind of make that first episode cliffhanger a little bit less impactful and things like that. I don't know. I thought they were cute. There were a lot. I mean, kind of when he had the binocular. I don't know. There were a lot of him used. And they were all 20th century stuff, which also kind of made it silly, I thought. But I thought it was cute how he had all his little gadgets. I I was annoyed at how brazen he was. What does he care? 
Obviously, he does. I mean, he is. I don't know. He just I thought wants it, to see the world. I, yeah, I thought it worked for his character. I don't know, but I, I don't disagree with any of uh, really any of the. No, those are fair criticisms. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And so now, final bit, some other notes, and a bit on the impact of this particular episode. And there's plenty with that. I always like to note that these episodes were missing for a while until an incomplete set of prints were found in Nigeria in 1985. Oh my gosh. Wow. That's so cool. And wow. then the complete serial was found in 1992. Wow. Where? I'm not sure where the complete one was found. In my grandmom's attic. Yeah. It could very well have been in somebody's attic or basement. There were a number of episodes that were found in like the basement of a Mormon church in England for some reason. That's crazy. I'm just picturing yeah. someone going on Antiques Roadshow and they're like, I found, <laughs> I found this reel in my mom's basement. And they're like, this is one of the missing Doctor Who serials. And everyone freaks out. I hope so. <laughs> so yeah, a bit of the impact with this story. Now that Ian and Barbara are gone, the Doctor is unquestionably the main character of the show. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And yeah, this story, of course, completely and finally changes the show's philosophy of time travel, since we know that history can most definitely be rewritten. Mm-hmm. It, it seems smarter to me to do that. The stakes are higher. Exactly. Thank goodness. It's so boring when you can't do anything. Yeah. yeah. Outlander. <coughs> <laughs> no, we're watching Outlander, so she's making that joke. I kind of like the tension about it. It's key to note that Dennis Spooner deliberately decided to make this point with not just a major historical event, but probably the major event in English history. Right. I know, Bay, you were saying, you know, I don't know a lot about the Norman invasion and the Battle of Hastings and stuff, but... This w- this is an English show for an English yeah. network for an English audience. I promise you that all the people watching it, they knew. They absolutely would have known everything about the uh, Battle of Hastings and this time period. And the show also introduces the concept of the pseudo-historical, which will ultimately kill off the pure historical. Good riddance. Since those historical plots that we're used to up to this point usually involve attempts to get back to the TARDIS with a side order of the Doctor being responsible for some event in history through complete accident. (laughs) But now the Doctor will have something to fight against when he goes to the past, which allows for different types of stories. We'll still see some of those pure historicals for a while going forward, but eventually when they do historical episodes, it'll be of this pseudo-historical type. That's kind of cool. Yeah. And this was really the first of its kind. They never did anything like this before on Doctor Who. And it was a big gamble to shake up the series this much on the very first story without Ian and Barbara. But it's also what has helped the show last for 50 plus years. So sounds like things were changing all over the place, but they were definitely headed into a third season then? Yeah, the third season had already been um, set. Cool. So yeah, next time we'll be doing our season two wrap up. So I'd like to thank Maggie for joining us for this one. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me back. And listen to the First Impressions podcast where you could hear more from her. 
You can find us on Facebook for First Impressions Podcast. We have a site. You can download the podcast on any of the multiple podcasting platforms. And just, we didn't say what it is, but it's a Jane Austen podcast that uh, myself and one of my dear friends, Kristen, run. We talk about the books. We talk about the adaptations. It's all good fun. Sometimes we're drunk. You should definitely listen. So yeah, and you could communicate with us and talk about Doctor Who as well. Join our Facebook group. Subscribe, rate, share. Thanks for joining us, everybody. And I will be here in self-quarantine with my atomic cannon to take on all comers. (laughs) I would leave, but my TARDIS is the size of a shoebox. So see you next time. Yes. So until next time, remember to always protect your cows with some space helmets. Have a good night.